Church, my name is Corey Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. 715, we're here. Uh, thank you so much for uh, gathering around the, the beauty of the sovereignty of God over these last few weeks. Um, I, this has been so important for me. It's been uh, enriching uh, in the way in which I've been able to freshly see who God really is in spite of what I see in our society, in spite of what I see when it comes to needs and and struggles and challenges and loss of life. For me, for us as a church, to be drawn tightly to the sovereignty of God, a God who is, again, holding all things by the word of his power, that this is a God who comes close and gives us courage. This is a God who comes close and, and now gives us resurrection power. This is a God who gives us freedom. This is a An amazing God who sees our fear and doesn't chastise us for fear, but actually is with us in the midst of the fear. Like, this is the sovereign God that we've been talking about. It's really good news. Like, this has been encouraging. This has been, um, this is, it's it's almost been like nitrous oxide for my soul, a fresh blast. But now what I want to do is really consider how do we respond to this king? Like, seriously, like how... How should we respond to the magnanimity, the beauty, the wonder of this God? What does that look like for us? What is the implications of that for you and I? So I I, want to simply title this A Beautiful Waste. A Beautiful Waste. From Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read this text. Uh, We're going to look at a few pieces of it. We're going to apply it. Uh, and I think that God's really going to speak to us. So if, if, if you would, just go ahead and go to Mark chapter 14. Um, this is from the ESV. This is what it says. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing. She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand, for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us. Amen. It was August of 1998 when my eyes saw Heather Elizabeth Howlett. 
She was mysterious. She was feisty. She was outspoken. She laughed a lot. She is what I wanted. It was. It's true. And so for the next two and a half years, I, I knew that that was the woman that I was going to marry. And it was only a matter of time before uh, I was able to be in a place to propose to her. So relationship, it progressed, had ups and downs. And so right around uh, February of 2001, that I was ready, I knew that it was time for me to find resources to, to ask her to marry me, to get a ring. Well, if, you're, if you've ever been in college, I was a senior in college. I was a couple months away from graduating. So uh, like most college students, I was not just broke. I was like capital B, like all caps broke. I mean, I just nothing. Uh, scraping together what I had, but uh, there was something about the value of Heather Elizabeth Howlett that enticed and drove me while I had 18 hours of credits that I had to take my last semester of college. I had 18 hours, six classes, but in the middle of six classes, I got two jobs. I've never worked so hard to scrape together $1,550 for a a .80 carrot ring that the clarity I'm sure was just hideous it wasn't good it was I don't even remember where I got it I was I don't think it was from the back of a van but it could have been uh it was but there was something in the in the middle of the season of my life where I'm working two jobs uh I am I'm working I'm overwhelmed with classes but I had never felt more alive I I, it was amazing was I can't put I, can't, I, can't, I don't have another season like it in, in, in my life because I realized that the value of my bride-to-be, it actually corresponded, it matched with the love expressed from me. And it was perfect. Like, I, I don't regret a thing, even though my, there were some people around me that were like, dude, you're working too hard for this. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. I said, no, 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 this is exactly what it should be. This is a season of my life that I'm going to work my tail off to get this ring so I can get her. And what I love about this text is that what Mark is trying to communicate is he's trying to help us see that there's something so beautiful about the value of Jesus corresponding with, matching with the love expressed from his followers. And what that means, why it's so important. And that this is what we're made for. This is what you and I are made for, is to freshly look at the value of our king and exhaust, empty ourselves out in response of that with everything that we are. And what Mark has done is he's been, he's been crescendoing to Mark chapter 14. From the very beginning, Mark 1.1, he talks about how the purpose, the thesis of his book was to prove that Jesus is the son of God. And so he's working, he's working, he's working, and now this is like the magnum opus. This is, this is the Mount Everest of this, this whole chapter is of his book. And it leads us to this, this moment where, we, yes, we see three different responses to the king. 
And we'll talk about it. We'll see the scribe's response to the king. We'll see Judas's response to the king. And we'll, we'll see this nameless, voiceless woman. But long before we get to those three, we have to look at the first words of chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, it was two days from Passover. It was two days from Passover. And you'll remember Passover was the meal eaten to remember the Exodus and how God had prepared long before the Israelites uh, stepped up to that meal that night, God had been preparing this moment for them to take them out of slavery, to take them out of bondage, and to bring them into freedom through the sacrifice of an animal. That as long as that blood was on the doorpost of their home, that, that, that now life would be theirs. Life was possible because of the Passover. And now you fast forward, and, and what Mark is saying is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He, that's what he's saying. But what we find in Mark chapter 14, verse 1, is that God, that what the Passover is, is, is that God is preparing a beautiful waste in his son Jesus. That long before we see how humans are to respond to God, what we find is that God is, 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 is communicating a response that he has for us. This is so important that we consider this because for many of us, we're caught in this rat race of feeling like we have to perform for God. That we, we do things to get approval. But everything about our relationship with God is we are approved, therefore we do things. That you're approved. Can I just tell you that freshly? You are approved. That if you have come to faith in Jesus, if you find that you have been lost in him, he has absorbed your sin, swallowed it whole on the cross. If you have cast all that you are on him by grace through faith, you are approved. You can't earn it at all. You, there's no purpose to try. You're proved. What we find in this, in this Passover moment is that God is literally preparing Jesus to waste him on us. He's preparing his son. Why? Because he values you and I. Now, when it comes to value, you always know what you value. You always know what you value by what you sacrifice for and what you celebrate what you sacrifice for and what you celebrate. And you see, in Genesis chapter two, when God formed you and I, guess what he said on day six? It's very good. What is that? That's celebrating you and I. The creation of mankind was this moment where everything stopped and God bursted forth. It's very good. That we're very good in the eyes of God. We have jacked it up 100%. We have turned our face, we have turned our heart, we have turned our life against the creator, and yet he still sees us as very good. We're made in his image. He, he celebrates you and I. And he celebrates us, and then it leads us to it, the fact that he sacrifices for us. How, how can I prove that to you? Just look at the Passover. Just look at Jesus. Jesus is God's Passover lamb. God's alabaster box to you and I that he crushes and he pours out for you right now. This is what's happening in this text. 
should leave us speechless. This is God's response to you. This is how he, he thinks of you. He values you. He celebrates you right now. Even in your condition, even, even in your house, the way that it is, it's, it's upside down. Your kids are watching too much TV. I mean, you, we've gained 10 pounds. I mean, we, we look and feel horrible that we just don't, we don't feel normal. And God's response to you is one of love and compassion. His heart is open to you because he values you and he sacrifices you. He sacrifices for you through his son. That, 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 the, that the Passover is, is God's beautiful waste. And I, I just, I've been shocked and, and overwhelmed by that this week because that makes room for me to respond back to God the way that he responded to me. The only way that you and I can respond well, the only way that we can respond to a sovereign God is to allow the waves of his generosity and his love and his grace to pour over our life, knowing that he went before us. He's made a way for us to respond to him the way that he needs to be responded to. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Like This is the hope that we have. That God's love is so expansive, he's willing to, to pave a road of response for you and I. Now, here's the reality, though. There's a few different ways in which these individuals responded. There's three. You've got the scribes, you've got Judas, and you've got the nameless woman. Let's look at the scribes. The purpose of the scribes, you find that in the first two verses. But the, the scribes, guess what their response was? They were trying to get rid Jesus. The pressure of that moment and their, and their own discomfort led to one simple reaction. We've got to get rid of Jesus. Have you ever been there? Before you go too hard on the scribes and Judas, can we just all agree we've been there? We've been there. Some of us are there right now. The pain of this season has been so immediate and, and almost like a fog that drops down that you can't see anything beyond it. And we've, we've been hurt. We feel betrayed. We feel overwhelmed. We don't know how to move. We don't know how to respond. We feel like God has abandoned us. And so for some of us, our response, just get rid of him. Now, we would never say that. But that's how we live. Life has gone on and we're just going to fix it ourselves. I'll get to God after all this is done because I don't want to deal with him right now. Spoke to a person here a couple days ago that was wrestling with her identity. Has for a long time. And when she was in ninth grade, she'd been to church year after year after year and was wrestling with her identity in the midst of it. And the way that she understood God's love for her was expressed through the way that she received love from or rejection from the church that she was at. So she just had, her, had kind of come to the end where the church that she was attending just stiff-armed her, wouldn't accept her. And so she just got rid of God. She just walked away. think that that may be an extreme case for some. 
for others, it's, it's, a, it's not nearly as acute, but that it's a version of that. Can I just give you hope? You know, my son, he, he loves these choose-your-own-adventure books. And it's, it's a really cool book. It's a history book where you open it up and you have three different characters and you can choose which way you go, but there's always kind of a road, there's always a moment in the middle of the character that you choose to get you back to the right choice so that you can finish it well. Because if you don't finish it well, it'll end up like usually not very good. Can I, can I just, can, if you're in the middle of being like the scribes where you're just trying to get rid of God, Trying to get rid of him because you don't understand. Trying to get rid of him because you feel like he doesn't love you. Trying to get rid of him because you don't understand your surroundings. If you're trying to get rid, can I just be the latest to just give you a flare of hope that although you're trying to get rid of him, he's not trying to get rid of you. That although you feel like your, your response to him is one of no, his response to, to you is one of yes. That it's not too late to go back to the beginning of your choose your own adventure. To, to get lined up right. Some of us were responding like the scribes. And then you've got Judas. Ju- Judas, again, we can look at him and we can be very accusatory and we can be very judgmental. But what Judas was doing was he was basically, he was trying to use Jesus for his personal good, for his for his personal end, for his personal advancement. He was using Jesus to make himself more successful. He had this understanding of Jesus that I will follow him, but in following him, I want my life to be better as a result of it. And if my life isn't going to be better, then I'm going to betray him. And I think for many of us, I know for me as a young man, my understanding of the gospel was very transactional. I think for most of us, we would all agree in this karma-centric type of understanding of Christianity, do good, get good, that, that I will follow Jesus as long as he carries and, and continues the, the contract that we've both agreed on, that I'll do great good things for you as long as you make my life easy, as long as you make me successful, as long as you give me what I want, I, that, that we've got an understanding And for for many of us, this season of struggle has completely shipwrecked our theology. And so so we, we don't know where to go. We don't know how to respond. We don't know how to move forward because of the fact that we've understood Jesus, the love of Jesus and the relationship with Jesus through a transactional perspective. That as long as I do good, then God is gonna hook things up. And you feel like you've kept your end of the bargain and your life is now upside down. And, and now you're at this moment, this defining moment, this fork in the road. Are you going to betray him? Are you going to go Judah style? And down on the inside of every human being, this is the ongoing struggle because this is the gospel of our culture. Therapeutic at its, at, at its core. Is that, that God wants to give you great things as long as you keep, as long as you do certain things. And for many of us, our, our understanding of this, we don't even know what a sovereign God is because it's all upside down. It's all been destroyed. And you're basically saying, Pastor Corey, I need to start from scratch. Good. Fantastic. Let's start from scratch. But I beg you, don't go, don't be Judas. 
where you think that God exists for your own personal success and comfort. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not. So it leads us to this third individual. This woman, this nameless, voiceless woman. And ironically, what she has in her hands is she's got this alabaster box that's worth 300 denarii. We saw in the text, it's about a year's, like a year's worth of wages, an entire year. Some scholars think it was worth $27,000. Just to give you perspective, when Mark describes the feeding of the 5,000, they said it would have cost 200 denarii to feed all of them. And here she is, is holding a box worth 300 denarii. $27,000. Ironically, and here she is, she's about to give it. She's about to give this box and this priceless box with priceless nard. She breaks it, she shatters it. She will never be able to walk away with it. She will never be able to use it again. She breaks it and gives it. She wastes it. She wastes it because of this, this, this man who embodies grace that killed the guilt and shame in her soul and now gave her joy. Ironically, guess how much Judas sold Jesus out for? 30 pieces of silver, yes, about $1,000. Judas is willing to take Jesus for 1000 and give him away. She is coming to the table with $27,000 and going, I don't want any more because I want him. This is, this is what you and I are made for, to respond to this king like this. See, when she saw Jesus, she saw the face of grace. She saw a man who, who, who didn't run from who she used to be. Now, we don't know who she is. Many believe it's Mary Magdalene. Some believe it's, the Mary, it's Mary, the brother of Martha and Lazarus. I don't think it matters right now. I think the beauty is she's nameless because it puts you and I in the position to put our name in there. I love how she's nameless. I do. I love how she's voiceless because it allows for your voice and my, and, and my voice and my name to be put into the middle of this. This is me. And she comes to the face of this, of, of grace that, that didn't run from who she used to be didn't, didn't badmouth her, didn't push her away. The face of grace saw her and changed her right where she was. And she could never get over that. She couldn't get past it. It wrecked her. Like it, it created a, a, a place of such passion and such strength and such courage that here she is in a man's world. She bursts into the middle of this man's dinner party. Chauvinistic culture, if there ever was one. Hierarchical. And she comes in by herself without saying a word. Falls at the feet of Jesus. At the, at the feet of the one who changed her forever. When was the last time you remembered 
who you were and how Jesus in his love and his compassion and his grace now stepped into your guilt and shame and killed it and now gave you joy. A joy that is designed to be found in him. It's designed to increase. It's designed to ever be be moved forward with the wonder of your God. When's the last time you just, you, you began to cry because of, what, of where you should have been? Like right now, you shouldn't be where you are. You should be, at least for me, I should be dead. I'm telling you, if, if Jesus didn't step in and change me and transform me, I would, have, I would have either killed myself as a result of drunk driving or I would be on the side of the street underneath a bridge. I mean, I'm, that's not platitudes. That, that's, that's, not, that's not bombastic. That's reality. That's where my, my life was headed. Jesus stepped in, and I will never get over that. I, I will never get over it. I wonder, when's the last time you considered the face of grace, stepped into your shame, your pain, your guilt, and changed it with his grace and guess what he gives? Guess what he gave her? He gave her joy. C.S. Lewis says this about joy. Joy is incomplete until it is fully expressed. I'll say it again. Joy is incomplete until it is fully expressed. You see, she, she was so overwhelmed with the love that was extended to her in Jesus that the only response that she had was to do something about that love that she'd been given. She had to do something. And so her whole value system got upside, turned upside down. What she was, now what she should have seen as priceless and was probably an heirloom worth $27,000. She looked at that not as something to be hoarded, not as something to be disconnected, but now something to be given because she had found something even more priceless namely Jesus. You see, when, when the face of grace hits your life, your value system goes upside down. You once valued more important than anything, like Zacchaeus. Of now, he, he had been collecting money, but he had found Christ. He had found Jesus. Jesus found him, gave him his name back. Zacchaeus, the just, the righteous, the pure one. Now, as a result of that, he wanted to do what? Give things away. His value system went upside down. This is what happens with this woman. Her value system goes AWOL, goes crazy, because Jesus is the most valuable thing, and she's willing to give whatever it takes to to match the value of Jesus with a a corresponding with a response expressed through her love. It was a beautiful waste. It was a beautiful waste. And I wonder, what, what do you think needs to be adjusted and tweaked when it comes to the way that you value Jesus? Do you value him? Do you see him freshly every day? Are you amazed? And, and do, you, do, you, do you get swept away at the wonder of a God who's holding all things together and yet loves you and knows you and is coming close to you? This is what I love about this story and this woman is she gives us, without saying a word, this beautiful example that you and I were made for. You see, this, this gift, 
it was, it was really important that she gave it to. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed in private. And they were usually anointed with nard. Here, what, G, what she's doing, by giving what was most valuable to her, to Jesus, she's declaring and anointing Jesus as king. See, all of the, the disciples, not one of them, expressed any type of response of love or compassion or care to Jesus, except for Judas, who hugs and kisses Jesus to betray him. His disciples have done nothing, and yet this woman, nameless, voiceless woman, anoints him as king. Do you realize that when you and I, when, when you and I take what we value the most, and we value Jesus even higher, and when we, we, we decide to give it away, we decide to take our hands off of it, either by choice or Jesus leading us through pressure, guess what we're doing? We're, in, we're declaring Jesus as king in our life. This is, this is what this woman does. This is a defining moment in Mark's gospel. The question is, Corey, bring this home for me. Like, give me, like, that sounds good, but give me an example. Okay, I'll give you two. There's a family, I'm going to go ahead and name them. Claire and Tom Mansman were a couple that just a couple years back were headed to divorce didn't, far from God, didn't even understand the gospel. And Jesus in his grace, his grace through the face of Jesus came close to them. Opened up their heart, opened up their eyes to see them, themselves. The fact that, that, uh, that t- for, for Tom, Claire wasn't the problem. For Claire, Tom wasn't the problem. The problem was their own heart. It was sick and it needed a savior. And they both, they repented of their sin. They came to faith in Jesus. They fell in love with Jesus. And that, that grace destroyed, it killed their shame and their guilt. And it gave them joy. And every single day, you need to know this about the Mansmans. Tom wakes up. This is what he, he told me recently. He said, I wake up, Corey, and I, I ask myself, it's between myself and God, God, I want to please you today more than anything. What does that look like? Help, help me please you today. So this is a family who's taken all of their resources, all of their heart, all of what they have, and they have exhausted, they've wrung themselves out for the gospel, through the church, in their community, and their whole life is basically one big nameless woman response. They've taken the nard in their life alabaster box and they've broken it and their value system has gone it's just different now they live to please the king marcus trammell man you'll probably never meet gentleman who went to hernan high school a couple years before uh after me he's a little bit younger he was a drug dealer there Far from Jesus, the love of God met him in prison, served a couple years, came out, and he committed. He said, I, I, 
I've been rescued. I've tasted grace. I've, I've been overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. I want to use everything that I have for this king who's been so gracious to me. And this is a man who everywhere he goes, he takes his resources, he takes his time, and he's constantly giving to the community. He's constantly finding ways to bless other people. He, he has four kids, an amazing husband. This is a man who is the nameless woman. He's acting like her. This is, and you, you, you may be sitting, Corey, I, I don't have an extreme testimony like that. No, but you have, you have an encounter with Jesus. The question, the question now, now is, it's just, it's a few questions. One, when was the last time you remembered? You remembered Jesus and what he brought you out of. And two, what does it look like for you to stir your affections for Christ? What does that look like for you? For, for me, it's as simple as going on a walk or going on a jog or reading my Bible at night. I'm not a morning person. I love nights. I'm a late night guy. I know some of you are like, oh, you're not Christian. No, I, I am. I love Jesus. I love him at night. I get down at night when it comes to reading my Bible. I can get into that. And I... I that and I, I've got my glasses, I've got my Bible, I've got a cup of coffee at night because I have a problem with coffee. And I just sit there and, and I just, I love to study and be reminded of this God who has awakened my heart to himself. And he stirs my affections at night on runs around the fire when I just, it's, it's, I just hear the crackling and I smell the smells and I, God, you're speaking to me in the beauty of fire and the beauty of nature. What stirs your affections for Christ? The last question is simply this. What does it look like for you to begin to give something valuable back to your king? See, we are in a church that many of you are living like this right now. See, for some of you, this message isn't going to challenge you into treasuring Jesus. You already treasure him. This is just going to encourage you in that endeavor. Because we, we are surrounded by people who are taking what they have and they're giving it away to the community. They're giving it away to this church. They're giving it away in their neighborhood. They're giving and giving and giving. This is, this is who we are. We are just like this nameless woman. But long before the nameless woman, we have a God who gave beautiful waste called his son. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this text that is so rich and is speaking to so many. If, if you're here and you, for many of you, you have a, a relationship with Jesus and you're being challenged, being challenged in some areas, I just would ask for you to just pause, even push this sermon on pause and even write down some areas. What, what, where do I need to go back to, to increase, to stir my joy, to create a, a new perspective of treasuring Christ above all else? It might, it might be you. But for, for some of us, we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'd just like to invite you into that. That, that this story it gives us the gospel. That God gave his son for you and I even though we didn't deserve it 
long before we responded to him, he was giving to us. He, he gave, he gets, gets, gives us this example of giving so that we could now respond to this gift of grace with our heart and our life through repentance. It's like, please, Jesus, forgive me. I stop and I turn my life from where I was going and I turn to you. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me of my sins? that's you and that's, that's the place that you're at. There's no magical prayer. It's no, it's, it's not, this is not some type of trance moment. This is just you coming to Jesus going, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to you. That's where you're at. I, I want you to text new life to 25827. There's going to be some prompts even in the chat for you to, to go ahead and, and click Click the, 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 the buttons right in front of you when it comes to, to a, a pastor who wants to pray with you. Again, the most important thing is just, is just respond, new life to 25827. Follow that all the way through. And we are going to, as a church, as a, as a staff, we're going to reach out to you. We, we have this amazing class called Discover Discipleship. We want to walk you through. We want to support you in this journey. We want you to be this nameless woman that you live to give to the one that gave to you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here today. Lord, I thank you for this message and your word in this church. Lord, you're making us a people, a collective people that are living to give to you and give to others. We honor you in the name of Jesus. We pray.